0: One of the steps in being a serious musician is figuring out how to get yourself publicity. Welcome to The Future of What. I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rock Stars. Today we have an awesome roundtable discussion with publicists and journalists about the best way for bands to get themselves press. What to do and what not to do. It's all coming up on The Future of What. You're listening to the future of what? We're talking today to Casey Jarman, Chris Young, Sierra Hager, and Chris Hannett. Everybody, welcome to the
1: future of what? Hello.
0: Hey,
1: I love it. Everybody's in studio. I like it when we're all together. (laughs) Can kind of see you all. All right. So, today's episode, we're going to talk about how to get press. Yay, for bands and individual musicians and everybody who wants press. You guys are a good group to have because we've got a couple of people who've worked at actual press outlets, you know, where people are trying to get their albums reviewed and such. And then we have the people who pitch for such placement. So you have both sides of the story. And I think probably, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show are young musicians trying to break through or at least get into The job of being a musician. And so I think one of the hardest parts for them is how do you get people to listen to their music, you know, and putting it on the Internet has been this double edged sword of, you know, you put it out there. Sure. Anyone can listen to it, but it's also like dropping a pebble into the ocean. You drop it out there and then poof, it's gone. There's so much out there. It's, you know, how do you get people to pay attention to your stuff? So I would say the general question is, you know, why don't you guys start out by just telling us what's the most common question you get asked by a band?
2: Well, so I publish a magazine called Vortex Music Magazine, which is focused a lot on our local music scene. So I get a lot of just really casual requests from bands to check out their stuff. And I would say the majority of those are fairly disorganized and they probably don't really understand what is happening on our side of the thing. Oh, hey, we just made this video. Can you get it posted by Friday? Because our (laughs) show is on Saturday. Ah. And it's just like, and that email comes on Tuesday. So I think that they just don't understand the realities of some of these publications. And especially as you're trying to get past just someone on like a local level where we're pretty personable and paying attention to everyone. And you're starting to look at bigger publications. These people are even more flooded and they have budgets and editors that are dictating, you know, what they can and can't write about. So I think that that one thing I would say to bands is that, and I know that these publicists can probably talk a lot more about this, is really having a plan for what you're doing, for what you're asking for anything before you just kind of like throw it out there.
1: And when you say have a plan and when you say, um, you know, what you're implying right now is that is that publications have schedules, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us more, you guys, both, the, both you and Casey can tell us more about the schedule that a the publication might have.
3: Yeah, I think it's just being mindful of which publication you're you're pitching to, you know, if, here locally if you're looking at a publication like Portland Monthly, their lead time on publishing a story might be a couple of months, even 3 months out. So, if you have a record release next week, that's not necessarily the publication that is going to help you out. And even the weekly papers, you know, if they're uh, on top of it, and I know from doing that job that you know, you're not always on top of it, but when you are, uh, you still have a maybe a three or four week lead time that's you know, where you're scheduling interviews, where you're figuring out album reviews, things like that. So I think it's just being really mindful of other people's schedules, which is good general life advice in addition to good musician advice. But I do think having worked a little bit on both sides, and I also help run party damage records, I think bands always want to get things out as quickly as possible. A lot of times they're tired of, you know, waiting for an album to be mastered and, and waiting for the art to be done and getting this plan together. So there's always a lot of pressure to go, go, go. And I think in my various capacities, I feel like I'm often a guy who's saying, Let's slow down, let's think about this and that can be kind of a hard role to, to play because the more time that passes, the the less exciting the, you know, the, the initial spark can kind of fade out a little bit for bands, I think.
1: I no, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I'm thinking about every band that I've ever worked with seems like they think they, there's this date, right? Release date. Mm-hmm. And after release date is get famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's no plan for like how that would happen. It's just like that's, you know, you drop it out in the world and then poof, everything, you know, everybody loves you.
4: What a mystery. It's like the underpants gnomes (laughs) equation.
1: (laughs) It is. That's good. The underpants gnomes music famous equation.
4: Exactly. Step two, question mark. Step three, famous. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Well, Sierra, so when a band comes to you, you guys, you and Chris both have good jobs in that you get to say to them, guess what? There's a method to this madness. It's not just underpants gnomes, question mark.
4: Yeah. I, I would say that there's a period on every sort of introductory call I do with a band where I get to ruin their dreams about releasing their album next month. Mm-hmm. Sure. yeah, Sounds but, familiar. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I, I guess the the main question I get is, how do we get more exposure? Which is so general and such an earnest, awesome question. And I think my favorite thing that I'd kind of just like to add to what these guys have been talking about is... Not just having a long term plan for releasing your content, but figuring out how to get it out in such a way that sets you up for success. So, you know, if really you're trying to get somewhere that has like a three month lead in period where they need to know about something that's coming out, maybe it's a really good idea to have some material coming out beforehand that you can send to them and say, hey, you know, here's a video that's coming out. I get that you're not going to post about it, but it's leading up to an album that's coming out, and maybe we can talk then. So, I think having really long term conversations with publications is something that we really like to do. Staggering content in order to make that possible. So, like before you release a record, release a video or a single or a couple singles, or like only release singles for a while until you're really ready for a record. These are methods that we like to use. You want to add to that, Chris?
5: Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying there. <laughs> it's, I mean, there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of confusion too with exactly what goes into it and you know like uh, what Chris was saying as far as like lead times and stuff like that. I've also run into like a lot of record labels and bands that like are a little bit out of touch with exactly what's going on with press like right now. We're at a point I'm sure you're you know doing having the same problem with this where you know debuts used to be the big thing for a long time and now no one really cares about them like they used to. So yeah, I think a lot of times like bands don't really pay attention as much as they you know like they think they do on with like what's going around you know uh, with press and everything they'll read Pitchfork and just be like okay like tomorrow I should have a debut on Pitchfork when you know Pitchfork's not doing debuts now or they're not doing like you know album streams and you know stuff like that so I think a lot of people I think bands like whenever they're I mean they should have kind of like a goal for themselves as far as like Keeping it realistic as far as like, do you want to, you know, just build your national following, you know, is that the larger picture or if you're just starting out, if you're trying to, you know, get something, you know, more locally here in town, I mean, we're really lucky in Portland, we have like, you know, probably the most supportive press people out, you know, of any city that I've ever worked with. So, I mean, you know, locally here in town, I think that's like a great thing for people just to build on that kind of thing and start there.
1: Do you guys recommend that bands start trying to get popular following locally first and then expand it to national? Or how do you, like, what, what would you recommend bands do in general?
4: Yeah, I think that's a good place to start for a lot of reasons. The most important one is just to make sure that your band has teeth at all, that your bandmates are ready to, like, actually commit to something. You know, I feel like you can work uh, so many bands that we work with are sort of in their first couple years and they wind up changing a lot during that period creatively, personally. Sometimes people figure out that like their best friend from high school or whatever, who they're writing songs with is actually going to go to law school and they're going to have to go it alone. So I think starting out locally is the best plan. I think it's probably also most people's only option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. M- most of the time. Right.
3: I, I think working in the local press, I would see exceptions where, you know, for the most part, I felt like I was paying attention to the local scene and kind of had a somewhat of a lid on on what was going on locally. And then there are these artists that kind of come out of nowhere that do find, you know, for lack of a better term, L.A. fame, you know, or New York fame before they get any Portland attention. So there are those exceptions, but as far as how that happens, that's kind of voodoo to me. You know, I think sometimes a band has a connection with the right agent or the right marketing person or the right label and can find national exposure before they really find local exposure but i think that's the exception to the rule and it's generally going to make for a better building process for an artist to start locally because then they can see the success happening you know you can see going from packing out a tiny little club like valentine's to packing out a bigger club like doug fir or mississippi studios or knock on wood crystal ballroom i
1: feel like there's an aspect of like artist know thyself to this you know it's like you have to figure out who you are as a band and sometimes that that requires a level of honesty with yourself that you're not that comfortable doing right and i mean do you guys have to ever have hard conversations with bands or do you, or they do they just go away and you and you don't have to worry about it
4: see i love this topic <laughs> um, i feel like we should have like a whole show about this topic so i think that a lot of people when they start making music the first few times through or whatever it's the first 5 years or whatever whatever your like beginning period is a lot of people get a lot of really good feedback from the people close to them friends and family are always going to be supportive right so they think like oh my gosh i'm special i'm getting this good feedback because it's me and these people love me and there's something special about me and i think that one of the one of the most important realizations an artist can have is that their success People are going to connect to something because of the art's value, you know, and and it doesn't have to be like some like super like crazy Lyrically heavy meaningful deep thing to have people connect to it It can be the value of it being fun or it being like silly or being really really dark and heavy Like people come to music because they see themselves in it and they want to connect to it I see people have this understanding of like, oh my gosh, I'm not special And it's this like terrible crisis. But I feel like once you cross that bridge, sort of, you're able to see, you're able to look at your music and be like, okay, well, like I'm not special. There are a million people like me who make music. This is a very common thing. But like, what can I offer that does connect with people? You know, what can I offer that's real? So I think that when I'm thinking about like bands developing, bands early on, that's kind of the, you know, and from there, it's so easy to make decisions about your about your band, like it's a business, Hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. Once it's not about like me versus the world and I'm going to climb and be a rock star, (laughs) it's a lot easier to just like kind of disconnect and be like, okay, like how can I provide value to the people I want to work with? How can I provide value to my fans? How can I provide value to my bandmates? So yeah, I think that's a really important step.
3: Yeah. I would like to add to that, that finding your own threshold of, of what success means for you. You know I mean? I think for a lot of artists, it's only a artistic question. It's, it's not a monetary question. It's not a likes on Facebook question. And for those people, the most rewarding thing isn't going to be, you know, chase the song that everyone likes and do more and write more songs like that. You know, so you kind of have that crux. I think all artists in our, all fields have that crux to, to face where you have to decide, am I, am I doing this for myself? Am I doing this to make money? Am I doing this for my community? And those are all valid questions that there's really no wrong answers to. And I, I try to stress that whenever I'm working with artists, just are you happy with it? You know, from a label perspective or from a marketing perspective, you know, what what's going to feel good to you. you? You might not feel good about waking up every morning and jumping on social media and spamming everyone in the world, you know, 20 times a day. You, you might feel better about quietly building this thing for a while and letting it sit and letting it linger and figuring out what it is so I think there's so many different paths and so many measurements of what success means for different bands
5: yeah that's what makes it kind of hard to do some of these like you know to talk about this kind of stuff because yeah it is completely different for everyone everyone kind of has like a you know their own personal idea of what they're going for if they want to be you know they're just stoked that they're like selling out like a you know a, a venue here in town and that's great for them and you know But do they want to take it to the next level you know and then when they are ready to do that like what resources do they have together already for that you know do they have like someone that can help them book shows outside of town which is you know when we were talking about like building a local following i mean it's definitely a great place to start but i mean touring is hands down the most important part of publicity for i think any band is just getting out there and getting your name out there. Definitely.
0: was Drink Up and Be Somebody by Kinski. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. If you can't get enough of this topic, come to the Media Relations for Musicians panel at the Alberta Rose Theater, 2 to 4.30 p.m. on Sunday, October 23rd.
1: This is such an important issue that I want to take a moment to talk about it because I feel like I get emails every single day from people who are like, I am sending you my music. What do you think of it? Mm -hmm. And my answer these days is it doesn't matter what I think of it. It matters what you think of it. Like if you think you are the greatest artist that ever came down the pike, then act like it you know, be serious about your career and and treat it like a business. Because guess what? If you start treating it like a business, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anyone in this room thinks. You're going to become a train that the rest of us want to jump on. We're going to be like, whoa, look at that. That's like moving. That's going somewhere. And I feel like there's a palpable difference between a band that's moving and has momentum and stuff going on and a band that it's like, They come up to your door and they stop at your door and they're like, open the door, please. Will you please open the door? And it's like, I get it that there's gatekeepers and I get it that that's a job that we all do. But at the same time, it's like, sometimes you you don't have a choice. The door just like blows open because these people are just going to go. And I feel like, you know, the more we can stress to young artists, like be serious, like do all those steps that you were saying, like make sure your fellow musicians in your band are serious. You know, it's like, who's going to want to actually stay home and not leave his girlfriend? That's an important thing to figure out before you start going on tours or after the first tour, which you will quickly find out. <laughs> about. But like, be serious about your bandmates, be serious about your music, be serious about what you're doing. And that, and like, so what we're trying to do here is to say to those artists who are serious, like, well, how do you, you know, how do you help bring this train forward? Like, how do you help move forward? So let's say, and, and one of the things I think has been happening a lot lately that's really good is that bands that are serious are hiring publicists on their own. They're not waiting around for a label to help them. They're just coming to you directly and saying, dudes, this is the real deal. Do you want on the train? And obviously you guys both have said yes at some point to some of those artists, right? So you do work with some, do you guys work with some artists who are independent who are not on labels?
5: Yeah, I definitely do.
4: Yeah.
1: So tell us what was compelling to you about those artists.
5: So we
4: work probably with like maybe like 80% unsigned bands. We've really built our company on kind of getting bands to what we see as like square half or maybe square one so we've like we've built out kind of like a four to six month process of helping bands get organized in terms of what shows they need to book in terms of how they're going to be staggering content it includes like a lot of like branding information and like work about storytelling we're not social media managers but there's a lot of information that we give people and basically say like hey like we can open the door to some degree like It's, we can still figure out how to get you guys like a national premiere and some local press and like maybe some other stuff too. But here's the work that you guys need to do during your first release cycle, your first release season. And you know, some people really, really love it. And they're like, cool, this is the like instruction manual I needed to start making this work. And those people tend to be really successful. You know, they're not like immediately famous right after, but they start to understand that like, okay, when I'm interacting with professional people, this is the information that they need instead of sending long, weird, rambling emails to people like you. (laughs) They know how to interact with venues. They know like how to show pieces of value to the people that they want opportunities from. So some people like some people start their growth cycle like that with us. And we love when that happens. And some people get finished with their four or six month campaign and they're just like, "Okay, doke, cool. I'm a professional person and this is my hobby. Mm-hmm. So, you right. know, I think both of those are really valuable pieces of information to have.
1: Very valuable. There's yeah. nothing better than someone finding out, actually, I'd rather do this as a hobby. Yeah. you yeah.
4: know, It's really, it's. <laughs> Personally speaking, it's a really wonderful moment in your life when you can, when you can be like, wow, I do not want to be at venues until one in the morning, (laughs) maybe ever again, but certainly (laughs) not every night.
5: And it's best when they find that out before other people spend money on them too, like record labels and stuff Uh, like that. God bless you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That is
1: a, that is truly a bummer.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think that what Sierra is talking about a little bit too, is like the, especially these new bands, they come to them not really knowing any of the things they need. And so someone like Chris and Sierra start to tell them, okay, if you wanna approach the these this media to get some press and to get people to talk about your record, because back to the whole trading thing, press is gonna lead to more press. If a local publication is talking about you that is seen as valued, or I mean just anyone is talking about you, more people are going to be like oh i saw it there like it's it's free advertising press is free advertising plus it will can potentially lead to bigger things but before we can even begin to think about giving you any press the things that these guys are going to do is say we need a bio we need some photos we need this music available streaming Please, please, please don't send me your MP3s as attachments. God forbid your wave files. I am not going to download those. They're not going to make it into my. You don't like those.
3: What's wrong with those?
2: (laughs) So you know. So and that and that's the beauty of you don't need you don't need a PR firm to do this. But that's what these guys have set up for people is a really clean format that that any media person is going to say, I got everything I need.
4: See, I'd like to just add to what you're saying just a little bit. I think this is one of the most important things that people don't really understand about reaching out to press, especially bands, really reaching out to anyone, bookers, labels. What you want to do is make the person's job really easy. You don't want to ever be giving anyone homework. So definitely like having really strong assets is important, but also understanding what the person that you're talking to is looking for, right? Right. So like different publications have different types of format. So, so so maybe they do like weekend show reviews or maybe they do. They're just really only focusing on like album reviews, knowing who you're talking to and what they actually do on a week by week basis. Like, are they trying to fill a venue? Are they trying to sell records? Knowing that helps you at, at very least just ask questions that will make it so that you can give them what they're looking for if you really do want to work with them
3: it's interesting chris is saying that there are lazy journalists out there and that's certainly the case but it's also the case that a lot of journalists are just on deadline for quantity rather than quality and they're expected to kick out you know 25 blog posts a day or whatever it may be and so it's a totally untenable situation to think that they're going to bring something unique and creative and personal to the table every time so there's that angle and like you're saying knowing who you're pitching to, knowing what kinds of features they run or what kinds of, uh, you know, recurring features or columns they might run is all huge. And on the flip side of that coin, it's really easy to offend someone if you don't have that information, if you don't take the time to find out what format a radio station is or find out, you know, what kinds of word count different magazines or newspapers run. It's really easy to, to let somebody know that you don't care what, about their, the work that they do and i think that's the quickest way to get ignored is to say hey i, I did this q and am i'm i'm submitting it to you as a band mm-hmm. and then they say no that's insulting i am a journalist <laughs> yeah. you know? whereas another you know website might say awesome a q and a it's already written out knowing that audience is, is huge from a media person standpoint and just in a, making connections kind of kind of way too yeah, yeah even with
5: like writers too i mean like it's good to know if you're a you know like a punk band know which band you know which writers cover punk music or if you know you're a like indie rock band which cover which writers cover that and all because you know i th- i think especially like you know for like when you first start out like getting a hold of people for this and you don't really know who you're talking to and you know, the types of music that they're into or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really easy just to, like, be hitting up the... Completely wrong people about you know stuff that they don't care about, and they're not going to get back to you and tell you that you know. <laughs> I mean, they get so many emails every day; they're not going to get yeah. back to you and tell you that like I'm not the person for this. Yeah. You don't just
4: want to be a contact on some contact exactly. list that they like maybe bought,
5: right? Yeah, right. I,
4: yeah, and that's
1: what publicists can really help with. I mean, you know, spending the money to hire a publicist in a lot of ways does two things. One, you know, like you guys are talking about, you guys have a ton of information about like what the steps should be of the process. If you have no idea, mm-hmm. that's a really helpful thing. And two, you guys have that knowledge. I mean, a band has to, in the end, be a band, right? Like they have to be playing music, writing music, loving that aspect of their job. They can't always also be fully up to date on like which writers like, you know, things in this way and write, you know, whatever. So that's what a publicist is really excellent at is that you guys can keep track of that stuff and and help them accordingly. I want to go back to something that you both were talking about, though, that you mentioned, Chris, about story. Because I think that's another thing that's critical that for some reason bands like don't always understand. It's like there's nothing you can do for yourself that's stronger than actually having a cool story or an interesting story or anything that would be interesting. And I always go back to the White Stripes. Like the White Stripes were red and white, and all their pictures had them in red and white. And that was genius. Like, because it was so simple. They didn't have to state anything. They didn't have to make up some fantasy about, like, I went to a cabin in the woods and fell down the mountain and then a bird flew over me and dropped my guitar on and that was my, you know, I just made that up.
3: (laughs) Whatever. You know, like, some crazy, yeah. yeah. Go with it. (laughs) Some crazy
1: story, you know. You don't have to have a crazy story and you don't have to tell lies, but you do have to have something that makes you stand out.
2: So You're talking about pitching which we've like talked about a little bit I mean and this like Sierra said like this goes for record labels bookers like marketing whatever it's like you're selling yourself like in a succinct way and so hopefully you got all your stuff organized and you're catering your message to the right person to sell yourself and I'd like to like even reiterate something that Chris said too is Yeah, I have a friend that works for a national hip hop blog and they have a submission address, email address, They get like over 500 email submissions a day. I mean, I don't really know, but I would venture to say that though that submission email address really probably doesn't get read or checked out or, you know, it's just, it's the garbage basically, but. If you go back and look at the writers that are writing on that hip hop blog, or you look at the writers that are writing for Willamette week or on my website or whatever, it's gonna be pretty easy to figure out who, what kinds of writers and photographers and content creators are interested in the kind of music you're making. Because I'm I'm a sucker for the emails that I get that say, this band sounds like this band. And I'm like, oh my God, I love Sufjan Stevens. Maybe I'll check out this band. They probably suck. They probably are not nearly as good as Sufjan Stevens, <laughs> but whatever. I'm gonna go for it because it just caught my eye and I'm gonna do it. So it's like, yeah, if you if you can really relate yourself to, you know, that person that you're pitching in a way that's gonna be meaningful to them. Yeah, and not just be a thousand email contact lists, but actually say, you know, I've been reading your blog. I saw that you wrote about this artist. I'm really similar to this artist, I've worked with this artist. Like that is going to put you to like way to the top of the pile because people are going to be like, oh man, like I really respect that producer. I'm definitely checking you out.
3: There is this really thin line though between having a story and having a gimmick. And I think a gimmick can be great for your band in terms of exposure. You know, if you're the Harry and the Potter's, right, and you're touring around the country and you're playing songs about Harry Potter at libraries. Obviously, you found your niche and you found your thing that works. It gets a lot harder when you decide you don't want, you know, when you decide you want to make your, your mature fourth album that has nothing to do with Harry Potter, then all of a sudden you're not getting out of that hole. So I think you do really have to consider when you're pitching a story. And I think some artists are hesitant to offer up personal things about them because of this. You do have to consider that whatever your story is, you're going to read it over and over and over again in a million, you know, slightly subtly tweaked ways, and you're going to get sick of it. So picking a story, I totally agree. Having a story is a huge but gives you a huge advantage over other artists but it's also something that you want to seriously consider and and think about you know how much of yourself are you are you willing to invest in this editorial process and in the in the press
4: we're working with a really cool artist right now named chuck westmoreland and he has these long sad very upsetting really dark kind of country like outlaw country songs about his wife who's just survived breast cancer And it is a thorough bummer of a record. And it's a pleasure to listen to. And people have been really engaging with it in the press, even though he's not doing, you know, a whole lot. He's not touring super actively, but his story is so real and he's so authentic. And the photo that we're sending out is like him in nature being a giant bummer and <laughs> it's just so real like it's just exactly who he is and he's been able to share himself so directly with people and there's like such a specific audience that really actually likes that kind of music i, I say all the time like if you're trying to be everything to everyone you're going to just be nothing to no one mm-hmm. so i i think so that that's I, I, I think i think
3: there. what you're touching on is that like authenticity is its own story i mean by It's definition. It's its it's its own story every time. I was just talking to Katie Davidson from Dear Nora and Key Losers about the idea that if everyone wrote the songs that are really, truly personal to them and really revealed something about them, we'd have a, a world full of really interesting songwriters. And often what we get instead is our songwriters who are trying to sound like someone else or appeal to a demographic or whatever it might be. But I think the same can be said for a band's image, a band's story, a band's presentation. A lot of times that authenticity really is a unique story and and you you might be looking too hard if you decide you know you want to be like Count Dracula and his I don't know I'm trying sure. your story was Although so good if about in your the heart, guitar <laughs> flying right. down from the heavens
4: if in your heart you really are Count Dracula though like if you're yeah. A, yeah, work it. if you're he a Count freak Dracula. like <laughs> yeah. show yeah. us
3: Show it. Totally. we want to see one of my favorite people locally is uh, Willis Earl Beale because he's there's no one like Willis Earl yeah. Beale he's just this incredible character and you talk to him and he's a very open person to talk to you know before and after shows and he's exactly that guy that's on stage and to me that's the most appealing possible thing is the artist on stage is the same person as the artist off stage that's the story that i'm a sucker for
5: yeah Yeah. and you can't fake that kind of stuff i mean like just watching a band live sometimes like you know the ones that are like having like a lot of fun and just are like really excited to be there and all and the ones that are just kind of like no, they need to act like that you know and well, uh,
1: and authenticity i mean i tried i tried to say that in my little sh- spiel before about like nobody's asking you to lie nobody's mm-hmm. asking you to put together a press release with a bio in which you tell a bunch of lies that didn't happen but at the same time there's an element of embracing whatever is true about yourself and actually being willing to share that that is going to connect with people on so much better than, than just trying to avoid it entirely. You know, try to be like, but we're not like anybody. No, we're not like anybody at all. And it's like, well, that's dumb. You know, music is like other people. Like, give me a break. Like, all music is referential. Like, no, you didn't just wake up and invent music. You know, you didn't just invent alternative rock or, or you know, Americana or, you know, it's like, why is it that suddenly for 15 minutes we had bands with 13 people in them? You guys didn't think that up. Like, that was a thing that was happening in the culture, you know?
2: Something that's funny to me about this is when someone writes music and goes out and plays it live, they're really putting themselves out there. They're putting themselves out on a limb. Like, they're really bearing their soul. And oftentimes, they're saying something very personal. Like, the lyricist is saying something very personal that maybe even the band members don't fully understand. So, it's interesting because basically, they're they're putting themselves really out there in their music but then maybe when it comes to talking about their music and explaining it and talking about the lyrics i completely understand when people want audiences and fans to you know make their own meaning uh, in songs but it is something that i, I just, just as you were saying that i was like it's it's really interesting that maybe these bands are having like a hard time like honoring their truth that they're putting out in their music by talking about it mm-hmm. they're able to like go on stage and sing about it And that's their therapy and their catharsis or whatever. But they still can't just like maybe straightforwardly, bluntly talk about it.
5: Yeah.
4: One thing we were talking about before is like the fact that you play music is not special but it really is important to be able to show people the way in which you really are special and every single person really is special at least a little bit so that's i mean that's maybe that's a good goal for bands
1: just be your special selves Find they are, whatever the, it is
4: yeah find yeah. that the most embarrassing thing about you and like let us take a look
0: Elegant Road by Hands. If you can't get enough of this topic, come to the Media Relations for Musicians panel at the Alberta Rose Theater, 2 to 4:30 PM on Sunday, October 23rd. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes.
3: I wondered if for publicists, you know, how big of a difference does it make to you that you really believe in this band? I mean, can you do good work for an artist where you see how they could be successful, but it's just not your thing. Or do they have to, does it have to really appeal to you in order to do the best kind of work for them?
5: I mean, I have a, I mean, I feel like I have a, you know, pretty wide, you know, I'm into a wide variety of music and stuff, but the thing is, is I think it's every publicist probably, you know, same thing with like record labels and all like kind of have to like have a, you know, point where they're like, okay, I think I'm better at this kind of stuff and all like, you know, I feel like, I do better with like louder stuff, punk music, metal, post hardcore, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, I love like, you know, softer indie stuff and I love like, like old reissues and stuff like that. But, you know, just sometimes like, I guess some you get pigeonholed for like one kind of thing and, you know, it's harder to kind of spread out from there and all. But I mean, I have always 100% try to go after stuff I love because, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's impossible talking about stuff that you don't really appreciate it. You know, like the, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had to do that like a long, long time ago when I first had to do, when I first started doing press and never, ever want to do that again because mm. it's just, it's so hard to, to just fake it. And, you know, I, I mean, there's times where it's like, you know, you can understand the worth of something that like, you know, maybe it's like, you know, they've got like a big name producer behind it or, you know, like it's something that's going to appeal to, you know, a certain subgenre of, you know, people or whatever, of music, like music writers or whatever. But yeah, I mean, just having to, like, you know, talk about it and not actually feel it yourself is just impossible and not worth doing.
4: <laughs> oh, I have like a totally different answer to that question. That's so crazy. I'm so interested. Uh, let's just, can we talk later? Yeah, let's get coffee. <laughs> Hang out. <laughs> yeah. So for us, what we're looking for is people who we know their publications who we have good contacts with who will cover a certain genre that's kind of the baseline but what we really screen for when we're like talk when we're doing sales calls when we're talking to people when we're thinking we're going to maybe work with someone is whether or not they can communicate well whether or not they're actually willing to get you know like 10 shows on the books mm-hmm. <laughs> you know something like not nothing crazy but people who we know we can actually work with i mean we've had things happen where we've gotten records that we really really loved that we listened to all year that we were just like oh man we're going to send this out and this is going to be amazing and everyone's going to be like whoa and we've been really really disappointed for you know for whatever reason so like the the music obviously has to be of professional quality it needs to not be garbage the band needs to be good at working with us
5: back to a little bit to what we were saying before about like knowing the different writers and all when you start getting in you know to it seems you know when you get like stuck in, in in like a certain type of genre of music or whatever I mean it it kind of gets harder to branch out from there because you do know so many of these writers that like that's their style of music that you know they want to cover and everything and then you know whenever you are working a, an album that's completely like different than what you're used to I mean those albums are fun i have a great time working those kind of albums like it's it's fun to do research and like find out what you know who the different writers are that would cover certain things and another thing too with the story stuff that we were talking about like they have something else going on in their life like i worked with this one band that uh, it was this metal band that had a singer who was a professional wrestler but like in like the underground wrestling circuit and also like you know, I had to, you know, start researching all the different wrestling blogs, which I, you know, know nothing about. But like, you know, for three months, I'm like a uh, well-knowledgeable on wrestling. But, you know, and then you just forget about it after a while, you know. it's So it's fun to pick up albums like that that do take some research and everything. But but yeah, it definitely still has to be something that you really, really appreciate yourself, I think.
4: I, I was just going to say, he you, you, touched on something really interesting, which was that, you know, you get into your certain genre and you have those contacts. And for a publicist... It's a healthy career move to nurture those contacts and stay in touch as often as possible. So if you're doing a bunch of really, really, really different stuff that's all over the board, you're going to wind up diluting your own efforts. I mean, one of the cool things about being a publicist is that you get better over time because your contacts become stronger. So I just wanted to. Yeah.
1: That's a good point. And also, I think this goes back to the point of artists know thyself. Like, a lot of times artists, for some reason, are unwilling to commit themselves or understand, like, where they really are in the pantheon. And it's that specialness thing, right? It's like, I'm special. I'm not like anybody else. And you have to be like, okay, dudes, be serious here. Where are you? Like, what? Because the thing is, if you don't know who you are as an artist, first of all, you're probably not ready for any of this, you know? And second of all, how are you going to market yourself? You don't know who to market yourself to, right? You don't know who is listening to you. You don't know who your audience is. Mm -hmm. And that is critical. We haven't talked much about that today, but knowing your audience is a a really big thing because those are going to be your fans. Those are going to be the people who buy your music.
4: Totally. And I think that that can really be handled with branding, especially for people who really aren't quite in the vein or whatever. Like two people that I think of, like who are like the most like crazy out there original, like David Bowie and Bjork. Like these are some people who are like one of a kind in history, both marketed to rock audiences. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think that's a really important thing to think about. Like maybe you can be like the craziest, newest freak or whatever, but like make sure that you look like you could be at a festival or -hmm. that you're working with publicists who cover or who, who work in that circuit. You know, like figure out what you're the farthest reaching But like, of what world? What what are you on the edge of? Yeah, what are you on the edge of? Exactly. And
3: and maybe learn to take compliments, too, is a big one. You know, I know bands (sighs) where they keep hearing that they sound like, you know, Neil Young or something, and they might be like, I hate Neil Young. I don't want to be compared to Neil Young. But that's, you know, the world loves Neil Young. Like, (laughs) learn to accept a compliment and don't be offended that someone thinks you sound like a band that... May not be your pick of of who you'd sound like if it were up to you. You know,
4: compliments right. should be your biggest problem. Yeah, and, exactly. yeah, <laughs> and also know
1: your place. We had a, an artist one time who was getting compared to another artist for the entirety of her first album cycle, and we just kept saying her over and over again. But soon, it they'll people will say that other people sound like you. Like, you just have to hang in there, keep putting out records, and eventually you will have your own distinctive voice and people would say, oh, yeah, people sound like that person instead of. But right now, it's kind of a good thing. It's like Chris said. It's like if, let's say you love Cat Power and someone writes you and they're like, oh, my God, you got to check out this artist who sounds like Cat Power. Your first thought is going to be like, I love Cat Power. I totally want to check that out. Not like. Oh, I bet this person doesn't really yeah. sound like, you know, Do it's like, hey, check it out. Cause you're like, Hey, I want to, I want to hear that.
3: And, and you're totally right. I'm sure if you, I mean, if listening back to albums from like, I use Neil Young as an example, but you listen to the early Neil Young stuff and I'm sure he was getting compared well, he was in like a funk band, right? He was totally. all over the place. But I think if you go back and look at first reviews or first press for a lot of artists who were huge, they were being compared to the Beatles or they were being compared to Sleater-Kinney or whoever it may be. I, I think that's, everyone has to go through that phase, absolutely, as you develop your voice. And as people learn to hear you, you know, I mean, there, it takes a while for your sound to resonate, too.
1: Right. And I always tell the story about Elliot Smith, his first record on Kill Stars, where everybody, like, all the writers hated it. And they were like, what is this Paul Simon crap? Hmm. And it's really funny because that was that moment in the nineties when everybody was in a band. And even if you weren't person like if you, even if you didn't have a band, if you were a solo artist, you still had a band name because nobody wanted to listen to a solo artist. Cause like, it was just not cool in the early nineties to be a solo artist. And here he was by himself, Elliot Smith. And everyone was like, what is this Paul Simon crap? And the next thing you know, you know, now years later, 20 years later, it's a different story. Is,
3: is there an artist that more people, you know, that right. if, if people say more often, Oh, you sound like a little like Elliot Smith. I mean, he's a, the touchstone, if you're a singer right. songwriter, and now
1: exactly, and isn't that funny that yeah. that was like a a bad thing? It's yeah, an amazing story. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, Slim kept all the reviews because he wanted to know who said that <laughs> in the future. And they've all changed their tune. They're like, I yeah. always loved him from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pre internet days, you could get away with anything.
4: Well, I think I think that's sort of an interesting point. I think that negative press can be really transformative mm. for bands.
1: Totally. Yeah.
4: You know, we don't obviously like we, we're not like going for negative press, <laughs> but a couple times we've gotten things back that have been like if you can if you can first like if you can actually hear some criticism from the people who are saying negative things about your band. <laughs> I think those are great things to listen to like why wouldn't. It's like it's like if you run a business and someone leaves if you run a restaurant, someone doesn't like your fries, make some better fries. It's right. like it's in your power. Right. You know, I mean unless someone just hates your face, in which case
2: you're out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're getting past the I'm so special moment, it's like once you get out of your friend and family group, someone's going to tell it like it really is. <laughs> and even if you are good, there's going to be plenty of people out there that are still going to tell it like they really think you suck. So you got to be able to like take that criticism and either use it to better yourself, empower yourself, like prove The haters, everyone's a hater.
4: Refine your marketing because you realize that you're not going to appeal to a certain sub, you know, like if you want to be a special artist, not everyone's going to like you.
5: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And that's, and, and also, you know, sometimes you have to say exactly what I said before about like, it doesn't matter what other people think, right? Like I am convinced that I am really good at this and this is, this is what I really want to do with my life and just keep working. And another thing to throw out there is, you know, one album is never your whole career. Right. And I think everybody sitting here knows that because we've seen it over and over. It's like you can artists have a tendency, especially with their first album, to think that this is their whole life. And really, it's just your first record. Get it out there. Keep going. Make a plan. Move on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? And I mean, the, the whole first record kind of thing is especially working with a lot of local artists that aren't on the level where they can hire a publicist to attempt to get press because it is the first thing they put out. You get a lot of people that just aren't ready you know, they just haven't really found what they should be doing with their band or their sound or whatever. So I think that that's something too that artists need to realize that if you're not getting feedback, if no one's writing about you, you mean on the hire wor- a on publicist? The, on, the wor- <laughs> on the worst, you're not good. Or you're you're just you know you're not resonating, mm-hmm. or you're not talking to the right people. But there, especially with local artists, you find a lot of people that really just aren't ready, and mm-hmm. they think, "Hey, I got this music," like, and they just need a few more years of right. of Cooking. refining themselves. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and this is something that I've learned from Sierra too, because she writes some really interesting blogs from time to time on her website. But she talks about working with new artists and making a case for just releasing singles because no one gives a crap about your full-length album when they've never heard of you. Right. So if you can like just really refine yourself and put out a bunch of knockout singles every 3 months and get press around those and get people to talk about those and like m- get on a Spotify playlist, like maybe you've just like made your Made it right there, you know? Like, do some...
4: Like, get your failures out of the way without spending a bunch of money on a record. Mm -hmm. Without, like, all these expectations. I mean, people think about their first record, like... Like this is gonna be my like, right? You know, masterpiece. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is which is crazy. Probably <laughs> your first record isn't even gonna be the one. Like, if you do get famous, your first record that you're thinking of right now isn't even gonna be the one that that people hear for the first time. It's not gonna be your breakout record. Right. And yeah. technology has
1: changed so much these days that things are different. It's not the way it used to be. It's not you know the very first you know some some bands back in the eighties people were really strongly anticipating their first record. But the reason was because they had done a ton of stuff beforehand. They'd played a ton. People knew who they were. They'd gotten singles out and heard they them had on massive the radio. support from record mm-hmm. labels. They had to, like, massive get support of a record label. This. Exactly. It was a totally different time. And I feel like we have to someday at some point in this culture quit living in the eighties. Like we have to move forward thirty years. And start living today because this is a different age. This is not, you know, we can't base record releases and music careers on like, oh, once upon a time you used to be able to get a ton of money from labels. Because guess what? You can't. I don't have a ton of money and almost nobody else does. And even if we did, we're not spending it all on some band's first record. You know, it just doesn't work that way because the returns are not possible. And I I think
3: about like just thinking about bands here locally I think about bands who basically have scrubbed their first record from existence because we're we're also, you know, with the exception of Vinyl Hounds, which generally speaking, you're not going to put your first record out on vinyl if you're doing it yourself. You, I would advise against yeah. it unless yeah. you really have six proven, months on your hand. Yeah. A proven <laughs> so audience. Really nice parents. Money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, that's a big tip I would say is don't just get vinyl because you want to hold vinyl in your hand. You know, right. get, get vinyl when you're ready for it. Yeah, so I think I've seen a lot of bands that have basically scrubbed their first album from a, from the internet, and we're generally lazy enough as consumers these days because everything's so easy. You know, Spotify is so easy, or Bandcamp is so easy, et cetera, That we're not going to seek out your first record if you don't want us to hear it. You know, right. unless we're a true blue super fan, in which case we're seeing you through rose-colored glasses anyway. Right. It's it's a pretty safe bet that you can kind of. Uh, dump that thing in the ocean (laughs) sooner or later if if you're sick of people hearing it or if you don't think it speaks for you.
4: And if you do, good, because it just means that you're growing and improving, which is really like, I mean, so many bands think of themselves as kind of like finished products, just Mm -hmm. like undiscovered diamonds in the rough or whatever. And like, if you don't want to get better at your job... You suck.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) From your mouth to God's ears. Anyway, (laughs) let's quickly go around and everybody give me a do or a don't or both for young bands when they're sending stuff out to publicists or to publications, okay?
2: Do not send me an email that says, hey, can I send you some music? Ah, (laughs) That's a good one. Just get me everything the first time around in a nice organized (laughs) manner so I have all the info.
4: I get this email maybe every day. And it's like, hey, what's up? My record is coming out next week. Really like some PR help for it. I know it's a quick turnaround, but we can figure it out. And also (sighs) we have no budget. Just trying to figure out like maybe like a small national campaign. Just trying to figure out what we can figure out. Like have a budget if you're emailing a publicist. (sighs) And you can can email to ask about what your budget should be and stuff. But don't be like, don't have a budget looking for PR. That's not cool. You wouldn't be like, hey, looking for some coffee. Don't have a budget. That's rude. (laughs) Well,
1: looking for some music, but we're not going to pay for it.
4: Totally. Whoa. Whoa. Sick burn. Sorry, go on. Also, just like, you know, look at the website. Does this publicist work with classical music? If not, maybe don't send me your classical music.
5: Yeah, I would agree with what everyone's saying. Basically, definitely make sure that everything's in the first email. You only get, you know, one shot to really get in front of people, especially, you know, what we're talking about with, like, getting emails piled on you and everything. I mean, if, if you have to ask what the release date is or ask where I can download photos or whatever, you know, that's one less step likely that you're probably going to end up covered on the blog or the website or whatever. And make sure you tour a lot. <laughs> that's the biggest do. I mean, if whenever a band gets a hold of me about working together, I mean, you know, I do work with smaller bands that are just starting out, you know, locally or whatever, but I like to go for you know bands that are touring a lot that have a name for themselves that have already you know put the work in and you know done everything so yeah I mean that's I think that's part of like you know whenever you email someone and having everything down there you want to have like I went on these tour dates you know I toured with these bands here's the links here's bio here's everything because you know you look at them and you're like all right they've got everything together and that makes you you know all the more likely to really want to work with someone like that I'm sure like on a label perspective too
2: and all yeah and so I mean you send that pitch you sent one email it doesn't mean you can't follow up either and it's especially good to follow up when you have something new to tell me as well so hey I sent you that first pitch to get you to check out the single I now have 100,000 listens on SoundCloud on that single. It's been written up on these three blogs. Check out these links. That's, again, right there, the press leading to more press, people paying attention to you, me wanting to get on the train because you're, you're mm-hmm. hot. You're hot ass Train's right now. moving. Yeah. I
4: have a better do, okay. which is the time to be getting in touch with people you want to work with on your album release. So publicists or if you want to work with booking agents or if you want to work with labels or whatever, managers, lawyers. The time to get in touch with people is when you get your final mixes. Do not make any release plans until you've talked to the people that you're gonna try and be working with, and just and just plan to sit tight. Don't don't schedule your release for a month after your masters come back. Like get the mixes out; people can work off of mixes. That's that's how to do it. Good, that's yeah. a good one, Casey. And if,
3: and if you're doing vinyl, get the vinyl in your hands before you you know decide on a release show date also um,
4: yes jesus because
3: <laughs> that's because vinyl can go terribly wrong i do, i sound like a hater of vinyl and i love vinyl of it but it's no, you're like, just a vinyl realist. it's an albatross <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It's, no we're the same way <laughs> yeah.
1: i mean you know every time a band says to us we want to do vinyl we all go oh yeah because we love vinyl yeah. but you, you
3: know ha- you it's lo- a if, huge albatross if you work with it you love it and you hate it mm-hmm. i think because it's just you know, it's an ancient technology at this point you know? yeah and it takes a really um, long time but i would my do would be to create a web presence for yourself before you really reach out to anyone and it can be relatively simple but i would say having a couple of photos somewhere on the internet having music that can be either downloaded or streamed because everyone every journalist has their own process just like every booker has their own process sometimes they involve putting everything into iTunes immediately sometimes it's you know they don't want to deal with that they don't want junk on their computer they just want to stream something. So having a few options for listening to music and maybe a couple of high res photos and just some general information about your band. You don't have to be a genius at writing your own bio if you're at that stage, but at least letting us know who you are, where you're from, and you know maybe who you've played with. Like Chris was saying, the, the touring thing is a huge mark of professionalism and shows that you're serious if you've been on the road. So Having a central kind of hub or two, you know, maybe a Facebook page and a Twitter account, those basic first steps already in place really signals to bookers or press people that, you know, you're not just doing this overnight and you're going to give it up tomorrow. You're actually sticking with it and you intend to, to work on your project.
1: Good advice from everyone. So Casey Jarman, Chris Young, Sierra Hager, and Chris Hannett, thank you so much for being with us on The Future of What.
3: Cool. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having us. It's cool.
0: Groundhog Day by the Corin Tucker Band. If you can't get enough of this topic, come to the Media Relations for Musicians panel at the Alberta Rose Theater, two to four thirty p.m. on Sunday, October twenty-third. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Kinsky, Hands, the Corin Tucker Band, and of course our theme song, "Mind Your Own Business" by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. For more info on our shows, check out our website at KillRockstars.com/slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week. Can I have a taste of your ice cream?